<laughs> Good morning, church. Um, oh, poor baby. Oh, poor baby. That, uh... You know, seeing that video, I mean, it can't help you but think, <clears throat> you know, how the Lord reveals to us through his word. I mean, if we have breath in our lungs, and we talk about this pretty much every week here, right? If we have breath in our lungs, there is no excuse. There are many things for us to be doing for the kingdom of God. Uh, we've all been given unique uh, God-given gifts that he wants us to utilize to glorify him. And there's obviously uh, basic principles, loving kindness, patient endurance, all those things. Uh, that, that, that's a great uh, reminder, seeing those, those elderly women who are old in age physically, but you could see the vitality and the youthfulness of uh, the spirit in them and their souls and, and uh, how they're cognizant, uh, cognizant of everything that's going on around them. And I think that's because of the hand of God upon them and them accepting the responsibility and the blessing that God has placed on their lives. That's a beautiful thing. So yes, please uh, take part in Operation Christmas Child. If you haven't already, it's going to bless you. It's going to bless your family. And uh, you're going to just be enriched by uh, seeing other people blessed through what you know of Jesus and to be able to share that. Uh, just like to say thank you uh, this morning. Uh, you know, last week was great. Um, I, I want to thank the, uh, the Marillo girls for, uh, for taking the time and, and, and being, again, it, it just taking that initiative. Oh, you know, we're not having a luncheon, but, you know, we could, we could pack lunches for people to go. Uh, that was a great blessing. I know my kids were, were blessed by it. They love uh, cookies and the cookies that, <laughs> that y'all make, you know, that family makes some great desserts. Uh, my kids were bouncing off the walls off those cookies. <laughs> and so uh, thank you for that. And, and you know, um, I, I'm super grateful. Yes, you know, the stuff is cool. Uh, you know, obviously I'm wearing the sweater, I had to wear it. I was like, you know what, I'm a rocket. <laughs> I'm a rocket today. But, you know, um, you know, the first thing I sat down and looked at last week when we got home after I got situated and did my normal routine was I went through those notes, you know, and those notes were, were so beautiful to me. They were such a blessing uh, for those of you that, that felt led to go ahead and, and write and share something personal, uh, you know, things that some things that I didn't didn't really necessarily know that, um, you know, the Lord had used me to have some form of impact uh, in your life being uh, your pastor here at this church. And so, you know, again, like I said, the stuff is nice, but those notes, that's what it's about. The heart and the condition of people and seeing people blessed and seeing people growing in their personal relationship with Jesus Christ and seeing people uh, restored and seeing people accepted where they may have not felt accepted. That's that's the, that's the business of the church, if you will. That, that's the business of true Christians is to uh, love on people and show people the way to truth and life in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so uh, I just want to say again, uh, thank you very much for that. And, and I appreciate all that you guys did. And like I said, I have a, um, I have a nightstand next to my bed. And that's where I, the top drawers where I keep anything like that that I get. So, um, yeah, it's kind of my little keepsake. So thank you very much for that. It, it was a blessing to me and my family. Um, well, you know, this week has been interesting. Uh, you know, you go from a high like that and, uh, <laughs> you know, immediately, you know, something's going to happen. And so, you know, we, we've had our fair share of spiritual warfare this week, as far as uh, my kids waking up in the middle of the night, screaming and crying and had a bad dream about this and that. And so I know it's spiritual warfare because we're very we're very aware of what we let our children watch. And so they're not watching a lot of the stuff that's just on there. So we know that it's stuff to do with the enemy. And uh, myself, even uh, last night, you know, just a weird dream and just kind of the things in it. It was like, all right, Lord. Um, but uh, oh, Lord led me to just get up and start praying. And uh, it was really cool. Just led me to Romans. And, you know, in Romans, obviously, you see so much of just the basic principles of the Bible and, and how we've come to... Uh, regeneration through Jesus Christ, and it's just a great reminder that it, it is, it's everything that he's done. He loves us so much that he gave everything, his only son, that we could be received uh, and have the righteousness of Christ basically transferred to us. And so I encourage you today, whatever you're going through, just don't forget 
how much Christ loves you, how much God loves you. Um, it's, it's very interesting. Um, what is it? Psalm uh, 17, 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me beneath the shadow of your wings. I love that verse. And, and, I, and it's, it's a verse that I have, uh, have been taught myself and, and a verse that I, I teach my children. I kind of got a better understanding this morning about what, how that really translates. You know, so your, your, your cornea, as I understand it, is the most sensitive part of your eye and the most sensitive part of your body. And it's the most protected part of the eye. And so as the writer writes that, he's speaking of, Lord, keep me as the apple of your eye, you know. Uh, and so in essence, God is protecting us as his most prized possession, his most prized peace, the most protected you could be in his eye, the apple of his eye. So again, if you're going through something this morning, I encourage you to reach out to the Lord and, and, and trust in him. And as I was telling Kalos this morning, it's, it's such a beautiful thing when we, we begin to understand the principles and the meanings behind the scriptures, because then when we understand the words, it just means so much more to us. And we get we, we have so much more value. We take it to heart so much more. And uh, I just pray that, that that's a blessing for someone here this morning. Um, today, we're, we're going to begin our study in the third letter that was given to uh, the church, the seven churches. This is the church of Pergamum. Pergamum or Pergamos, if you'd like to say, was a beautiful and an art-filled city in the providence of Asia in modern-day Turkey. And before I go any further, let me actually go ahead and read these verses. So um, if you can and, and, and you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be in Revelation chapter 2. We'll be going through verses 12 and 13. I think we're kind of, that's kind of the little pattern we're in right now. It's just a little bit at a time, little, 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 little snippets, little chips, which may not be little with me talking, but still, nonetheless, few verses this morning. All right, starting in verse 12, and it says, And to the angel of, of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan excuse me, dwells. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, once again, thank you for the opportunity to dive into your word. Lord, would you uh, reveal your, your truth in it to us this morning? May you help us to rightfully divide it. May the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, and may we see exactly where the application is for our lives this very day. Whatever it is we're going through, we're all at different stages in our walk with you. We're all going through different circumstances, but they all resonate and come back to one central theme, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that you're the answer to all problems in life. And if we look to anywhere else, we're not going to get the, we're not going to get what we need. So you have what we need in, in your scriptures. So help us to understand that. May you give us the ability to apply these things to our life. Father, we thank you and love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Like I had uh, stated a minute ago, so this is the third letter uh, to the church of Pergamum. And this was a beautiful city, art-filled city, a lot of uh, you know, a lot going on, a lot, lot, lot of energy in this city. And it was uh, in the providence of Asia and obviously modern-day Turkey. All of these churches are kind of in this, the same central area, if you will. Um, this place is in ruins today. It's no longer standing. It's no longer the great city that it once was. Uh, just a little bit of background so we can kind of have a framework for, uh, you know, this city the name Pergamum from the Greek word Pergamos, which is a combination of two Greek words, Pergos and Gamos. These words combine to mean either citadel or united by marriage. So that's kind of the name, what this name means. You see, Pergamum was a center for the worship of Dionysus, Zeus, and other pagan gods. There was a lot of uh, idolatry going on, as was common in many of these cities back then. Many of these citizens of Pergamum were united, if you will. They were married to false worship. And it's interesting to note that indeed for a season of time, even some of the believers of the church of Pergamum, although they were outwardly aligned themselves with Jesus Christ, they themselves were united or married to false gods as well. And, and Lord willing, we'll get into that next week. But this morning we'll begin to unpack what Jesus Christ commanded them to do 
or excuse me, commended them for what, what he said they did a good job of and how nothing is ever hidden from him. Nothing is ever hidden from his eyes that he sees all things and knows all things for us this morning. This is a great reminder for us today that as the Bible says, we can polish the outward uh, exterior of the cup. But if the inward interior of the cup, meaning our heart is dirty, uh, we're not hiding anything from God. He knows clearly what goes on. And so the best thing for us to do is come as you are. Remember at, uh, at Spring Valley, I remember when I first went there, I said all, 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 all the boys with the, you know, their vans and everybody's shoes and a big banner, come as you are, you know. And, and what the Bible says, what does Jesus say? Come as you are. He doesn't say, get polished up, get cleaned up, get, get, get nice, and, and then I'm going to work with you. No, he says, come as you are ragged, broke down as you are, sinner as you are. And I'll, speaking of Jesus Christ, will restore you. I will transform your inner being and make you the creation that I've called you to be. Amen? And that's a beautiful thing. And so for us today, we got to remember that. And I think as we go through this message, we'll see how it was a wake-up call for this this church, even though they were commended for doing uh, a great thing in keeping their faith in Christ. There are several main points that I'd like to point out this morning. And the first one is this. No matter how hard we try, we can never elude the all-knowing creator. We can never uh, pull a fast one and have God not know. The whole thing of a little white lie, no such thing. It, it, a lie is a lie. Uh, you can't evade. I can't evade. The first statement we see refers to Jesus Christ as the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. This is extremely important to not only understand but to remember because once you and I open ourselves up to honestly reading and studying the Word of God, you and I will always come away from studying the Word of God with some level of conviction. It has to happen. If you, have, if you read God's Word and you don't walk away with a level of conviction you haven't been studying honestly. Notice I said if you read and study honestly. You see, because many times if we get uncomfortable, it's a natural reaction for us as people. We want to change the situation so we can remain comfortable. We don't like being uncomfortable. We don't like to fidget. We don't like to squirm. But that doesn't work with the living word of God. Now, I'm not saying that you and I won't get encouraged or have encouragement when we study the word of God. I'm not saying you and I won't be motivated to love Jesus Christ and people more every time we read the word of God, because we will. Those things are true. What I'm saying is because Jesus Christ himself is that sharp two-edged sword that cuts through any facades that you and I try to erect in our lives, we will always walk away from our time with him convicted and encouraged to grow closer to him. That's, that's part of the refining purpose. That's part of the sanctification purpose. That's why anytime you open up the word of God, I don't care if you've read Psalm 93 a hundred times or if you read 1 James 2,000 times, every time you open up that book, you are going to get something different out of it and you are going to get something else that the Lord is speaking to your heart about because one, the Word of God is living and active. Two, you're going to be in a different circumstance in your life and it's going to speak to your circumstance specifically for that time period. Amen? That's a great thing. You can't live off yesterday's blessings. I can't live off yesterday's bread. As great as yesterday was, yesterday's coming gone. And that's it. We keep moving. We're like, Lord, today. I need fresh manna today. I need to hear from you today, right? You look at any Christian that's living off of what they did 20 years ago. They're not doing good. They're not doing good because that's not how God operates. We talked about this a long time ago. You can't put <laughs> new wine in old wineskins. What happened? The old wineskins burst. They, don't, they can't contain the freshness of the new wine. And so, you know, we being regenerated, being renewed daily, we want to be those that have that are that, that new wineskin to receive that new wine, the new work of the Lord. Amen. This is exactly what Jesus Christ was conveying to this church in Pergamum, right? No need to try to hide and cover up anything. He is that sharp two-edged sword 
He knew all about them. He knew the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knew all things about them. And that's the first main point. The second main point is this. Wherever there is heavy impact for Jesus Christ, there will always be heavy opposition. You see, Jesus Christ goes on to tell the church of Pergamum that he knows where they dwell, where Satan's throne is. Man, that's intense. <laughs> you telling me where I dwell is where Satan's throne is at? What, what did Jesus mean by this? We well, see, G- uh, Jesus understood that the church of Pergamum existed in one of Satan's strongholds. There was a very severe stronghold on this region, on this city, in this area. Again, many people in Pergamum worshipped Zeus, the chief god of the Olympian gods. There were so many false gods, the Greek gods. They, they, they loved them. They worshipped them. They gave adoration. They adorned them. They built erected statues and buildings named after them, temples after them. False practices all in the name of these false gods. It could also be the mention of Satan's throne at Pergamum was a reference to the altar of Zeus. Again, all of these things to these false gods, these little g gods. All of this was going on. Too much to, to go on about. Um, there, was, there was actual people worship, worshiping the Roman emperor, whoever that was. Um, a god, there was a god of wine and vegetation, uh, Athena, the goddess of Athens. Uh, there's a god of healing. There's so much. And it's like, it's crazy. It's like, how can you have so many gods? But it shouldn't be strange to us because these kind of things still happen today. You see, when we line these historical facts up with our present day society, and especially, I'll take it back to where we are because it's all about application, right? If we can't apply what we're learn, what we under, what we hear here and what we learn here, it makes no difference to us, right? It's 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 just it doesn't uh, it doesn't sink in. But look at where we live. We live in the Bay Area. You know, there's striking similarities. There's striking similarities. There's a lot of false gods in in this area where we live. There's a lot of false practices. There's a lot of idolatry. There's a lot of erecting up of people and esteeming people and, and ideas of living and how to live. And, 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 and largely, society accepts these things and says, oh, you're, you're, you're doing a great thing. You're giving freedom to these people. You're embracing change. And we've come so far. And now we, we, we include these things to say that we're right. But it's not right. You see, there is a severe stronghold of satanic influence here in the Bay Area. And um, you know, I, from time to time, I still talk with Pastor Nick, and I know that, uh, I think him and April went to go. They went to Michigan. They took their kids to go visit um, some of her family, and they, they, they came back. And when I had talked to him, he said, it's like we got a breath of fresh air when we were there. Not that Michigan doesn't have its fair share of issues. Every place does, right? We live in a world full of sin, so I'm not saying that. But the, paint, the picture I'm trying to paint is this. We had this conversation, and I believe Pastor Nick has the Holy Spirit living in him. And he's not going to paint a lie or just paint pictures to paint them. He said is, the minute we touched down into Mineta Airport, so I could just sense the energy change. I could sense a shift in where we had been and what we were experiencing. And we came into, like, back to this stronghold and this severe stronghold in this area. And, and, and make no mistake, there are a lot of things going on. Uh, whether people want to charge them as racial, political, the thing with the gender thing, this right, that right, there's a lot of satanic influence happening. And we as the church need not be deceived. We as the church of Jesus Christ, the true church, need to just guard our hearts and our minds and be willing and able to be a faithful witness because there's many people. I mean, as you heard Gene share about just the number of boxes going out from Chick-fil-A. So there's a need. There's a desperate need. There are many people that still have not received Christ as their Savior. And you and I are alive today to be able to take part in that, to be a faithful witness. Amen. To be able to see souls saved for the glory of God. You know, it's a beautiful thing. I, I look at this young, this young, beautiful baby, you know, uh, playing around on the ground. And, and what about that baby's generation? What about all those young ones? There's so many. They're growing up in godless homes. They're growing up in godless environments where the mention of Jesus Christ isn't even there. Where no one, there's, they're coming from, in some cases, they're coming from families where generationally there has not been one believer and it's just been generation after generation. The generational curse is just being passed down from child to child. And, and no one stepping up to break the generational curse today that can be you. 
You don't even have to physically have a child. But if you have grandchildren, if you have siblings, if you have younger ones that you interact with, you can be the one to help break that generational curse. Amen. It's dependent upon what our perspective is and how we see life, how we see God. The third main point is this. Daily, we should be encouraged to live out our faith despite any rejection we may face. Once again, we see that the Christian walk is a daily walk, one foot after the other. You see, um, (laughs) there's no dwelling on the past. We look at the situation of Lot and his wife and what happened to to Lot's wife. I I won't even say poor wife because she made the conscious decision. She loved those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, so much. She loved the, I guess, the liberal freedom that you had to live in those cities and do the ungodly things that were done there. And when the angel said, run and don't look back, what did she do? She wasn't with her husband. Maybe she was with her husband, hand in hand. I'm not too sure. I don't know if the the Bible gives a, a, a definite description. But nonetheless, she wasn't with her husband running, striking like I'm running for dear life. She ran and she looked back because her longing heart, her heart, she was lukewarm. Her desire was for that place, those places. And she turned to a pillar of salt. We talked about it just a second ago. You and I cannot live off past blessings. You can't. You can't say, well, this is what I did last week. So, Lord, I'm good. No. What are, where am I now? That is a big reason. And, well, the biggest proponent is it's what it says in the Bible. But that's why we offer communion every week. Because it's not a once in a month thing. It's not a once in a every three months. Oh, oh, we're having a Christmas service. Let's have communion. No, you need, we need, I am led to believe we need to offer it to believers here because every week you have the opportunity to come here in the comfort and safety of other believers and go before the Lord. I know you can go before the Lord anywhere, anytime, but what I'm saying is in this formal setting, we offer it to you. Do business with the Lord. Get right with the Lord. You're good to go. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's how it should be because it's a, it's a constant thing. It's an everyday thing. Unfortunately for her, she turned away and she turned into a pillar of salt. She got ahead of herself. As the Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, verse 33, we may throw the dice, but God determines where they fall. I, I feel like I use that verse. I reference that verse a lot. And I think maybe in my own life, it's constantly being told to me, Keefing, you can make plans, but I'm going to determine the purpose. I'm going to get the glory. So don't think that you know it all. Don't think that you can figure it out. Don't think your planning is going to perpetuate to all these things being produced because that's not the case. The Lord's like, trust in me. Stop trying to micromanage things because it doesn't work like that. You can do that for a business. You can't do that with God. Amen. You can't do that with the organism of the church. You got to allow the Holy Spirit free reign or else let's stop calling this a church. And this is just a social group. This is a self-help group. This is some kind of psychology group. No, this is the church of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is the head. We allow him to have his will be done. You see, the concept of a daily walk is explained in great detail in Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. At at, at moment's glance, it doesn't seem like much, but there is so much. You can preach a whole sermon just on this verse alone. You see, back then, a lamp was only going to light up so many feet in front of you. It wasn't like these tactical flashlights that we have nowadays you see in the infomercials where they're going to light up half a mile in front of you and they're LED and they're never going to go out. It wasn't like that back in the day. Back then, you had to walk at the pace of the lamp that you held in your hand, lest you fall and stumble off the path. You had to walk at the pace of the lamp or the, or the, or the lit candle in your hand. That's exactly the picture we get when we walk with Jesus Christ daily. That's exactly how you and I remain faithful and stay on the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. By allowing him to be allowed, poor baby. By allowing him to be the light onto our path one step at a time, one moment at a time, one day at a time. Amen. That, that's, that's how it works out. That's, that's true communion with Jesus Christ. He has to be our everything. The Bible says, worry about nothing, pray about everything. Some people will be like, you're a fanatic. You pray about this and that. Yes. Because I need to take my orders from the Lord. 
Lest I start doing my own thing. Lest I start thinking I'm wise in my own eyes. Lest I start thinking I have a, a, a estimation of my own intellect that I, that I shouldn't have. And that's what happens. That's the danger of being really smart, right? But it's only man's wisdom. People say, oh, I have straight A's. Or I got this. Or I got that. Or I'm a Valley Victorian of this school and that. And we get puffed up. <laughs> and we start thinking that, that we know... And we start, then we start judging, and we start thinking we can speak into other people's lives in the sense of convict, uh, you know, convincing people that they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't do that. But we need to trust in the Lord and allow Him to guide us one step at a time. We need His vision, His direction, His strength. It comes from Him. If it's not about Jesus Christ, we've lost the focus. And that that idea, that concept, can never get old, because He's the one who knows best. When we align our lives with him, that's how we end up on the right track, the right path. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and break down these two verses. So the first in 12, it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Okay, so, so quick review here. We already know that the angel of the church was a messenger, right? That's, that, that's the whole explanation of, of what angel means, messenger. So it could have literally been an angel from heaven or the pastor of the church. Either way, Jesus Christ had a specific message for the church in Pergamum. The application is this. Today, when we come to a church service, we should be expecting God to speak through his word and through his messenger. Obviously, God can speak through him whoever he chooses. I mean, obviously, the scripture says he spoke through a donkey, right? He spoke through a donkey. He, he also said that, that if his people won't worship him, the rocks will cry out and give him praise. He speaks of how uh, all of creation all her, it moans and groans, is aching for the return of Jesus Christ. The elements, they all know that this is a cursed land because of sin. The byproduct of sin is flash floods, earthquakes, tsunamis whatever they want to call global warming all this stuff is a byproduct of sin it's you it's too simple for the sophisticated person with all the degrees to have to humble themselves and say oh it's because of sin no it's because of look at my charts look at my graphs look at all this these gadgets and gadgets that apple supporting me i got all this to show you to prove to you the technology we went to mars we went to the moon yeah, and we're finding out that the universe is ever expanding. And the more and more that they see the universe expanding, they, they're, they're, when they're honest, they're saying, we don't know much. We're, we're knowing less and less the more we see the universe expand. So again, I mean, we can rest the case there, but that's a whole other bucket. That's a whole other, that's a whole other canteen of worms. <laughs> the reality is this. There should never be any pride or arrogance in the heart of any messenger. The heart of any pastor, the heart of any teacher. Those things need to be eradicated. And obviously, it's never going to be totally gone. But what I'm saying is it needs to be constantly kept under watch by the Holy Spirit. It is an extreme privilege and honor to teach and preach God's word every week for those who are called to do so. But you see... One of the main keys here is to preach and teach God's word alone. It's the preaching and teaching of God's word. It's not the preaching of teaching of God's word and X, Y, Z, or omit God's word or alter God's word and put in one's own opinion. But it is to preach and teach God's word alone. It is the word of God that has the authority and power not the vessel it's spoken through. And that's extremely important because a lot of people are deceived by that. People are, are drawn to people. We're, we're people, we're social creatures. But we have to discern and differentiate the personality of a pastor and the word of God and what the word of God says. You see, many people are drawn to, oh, they're, they're likable. And, you know, all those things are good. Yeah, they're chummy. They're funny. But are they preaching the truth to you? If you walk away knowing more about the pastor than you know about the word of God, get out of that church. That's not right. It's not. It's not. But again, I go back to we want to be comfortable. We don't like when the Holy Spirit convicts. Ow! I don't like that you said that. 
I didn't say it. The word of God said it. You know, and sometimes that's why people church hop. Oh, well, I don't like that church. Well, because I don't like how they preach. I don't like how they teach that and teach this. Well, we're never going to find a perfect church. The word of God, honestly taught, honestly spoken, as we mentioned before, will always convict. And so I think it's a matter of us understanding that this is part of the process and how we become sanctified and having peace with the fact that we're allowing God to speak into our lives. And many times he's going to do things and say things that are going to hurt because things have to be eradicated for us to become more like him. Amen. But the messenger as well needs to be repented himself, cleaned up and prayed up to be a useful vessel for the Lord. You can't just wing it on a Sunday morning, but you haven't communed with the Lord all week long. It doesn't work. The congregation will see through it unless they're immature Christians. You can't just come up in, come up in here and just take up time talking nonsense from the pulpit, thinking it's going to go over well. That only comes from having a tight-knit relationship with Jesus Christ, that daily you are experiencing things through the Word of God and in your own life, and He reveals things to you. You're able to rightfully divide the Word of God, and that's how it's shared. You see... You preach out of an endless reservoir of Jesus Christ's living water. We know Jesus Christ is the living water. If he's living water, then you never run dry of things to say because he's constantly filling your mind, your life, your heart with experiences and truth revealed. You don't preach from an old puddle that's dried up. You see, there's a theme here. It's like the old wine. It's like living off yesterday's blessings. There should be a newness a reinvigorated livelihood that's constantly regenerated because of the Holy Spirit living in your life. And, th- and this is not just for people who preach and teach the Word of God. In context, I'm sharing this, but for every believer. That's how people get affected by the gospel. Is because your life is what some people refer to. Some Christians say, I'm on fire for the Lord. What does that mean to be on fire for God? Well, that means that you're obviously having such a tight-knit relationship with him and you're so in line with his will for your life and you're so obedient and humble before him that things are working and clicking and your trajectory is on the right path because you said not your will not my will but your will be done and he begins to unravel or reveal things in your life and you get off on your way with him and that's a very good thing You see, the congregation will suffer for pastors who lack diligence in seeking the Lord daily. As the congregation, this ties into, uh, again, this, this, this point. Do we really believe that the scriptures are sufficient for all things? That's the, the congregation's part. You see, the, the pastor or the messenger or the preacher is to administer the truth, how it's been relayed to him throughout the week. But the congregation has a part two. Does the congregation come expecting that the scriptures have all sufficiency? Or do we say, it's got sufficiency and all these things, but over here, oh, I don't know. I don't know. The, the, the word of God says, do not be double-minded. Do not be a man that's unstable in all his ways. But many times we're like that. Many times we come in doubting because we've gone through a rough week or we've gone through things that they did not happen the way we thought they should. And so we begin to doubt And we begin to doubt God's love. Remember that verse. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me beneath the shadow of your wings. If you're loved like that, that he's going to protect you like his cornea. Man, you got to trust that God's got you, even though your circumstances don't look the way you want them to look. You see, if we believe that the scriptures are sufficient for all things, then we will believe and we will anticipate him to speak in his house through his chosen vessel. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 17 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned, speaking of, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, this is so important here, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. And obviously women you're included too. But I mean, 
This is what I'm talking about. We, me and Daniel were talking about it this morning. If we would just live in a way where we trusted the Bible for every area of our lives and said, I'm looking to the word of God. What does the word of God say about this situation, that situation? Man, how much better off we would be? How much, how much hardship would we, have, would we sidestep? Obviously, there's some things we have to go through. But I'm talking about stuff that we bring upon ourselves from our own foolishness our own selfishness, our own greed, right? That's just, that's, that's unfortunate. I, I, I hate to see situations where I put myself or I see other people put themselves in circumstances that you didn't need to be in that. All you had to do was trust in God and go the other way. But you wanted to get as close as you could to sin and see how close you could get without getting burned. Don't do that. It's not good. You end up getting burned. And then not only are you affected, but other people around you are affected. Everybody's affected by it. Because sin's job is to seek, kill, and destroy everything it touches. We are born into this world at enmity with God because of sin. It's not that we wanted it. It's not that God wanted it. That's just what sin does. You know, unfortunately, that's just what sin does. And so we have to be aware of this. But the Word of God... It's profitable for every area of your life. It just truly is. If we accept that and trust that, oh my gosh. Just our hearts and our minds will be so radically changed. The problem is many times we don't really believe that the scriptures are sufficient for all things in life. That's why people will run to a psychologist first. And then get put on all kind of medications and drugs that are supposed to cure you of this and cure you of that. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, there is a place for modern medicine and medical professionals. Praise God for them and what they do. But there is a severe problem when we run to them first and not Jesus Christ. You see, wherever, whenever you find, wherever, whenever I find myself in a crisis, we need to be seeking the Lord before anything or anyone else. Amen? The Lord had a specific word for the church of Pergamum back then as he does for us today. Okay, again, just a little bit briefly. I'm not going to go too much into Pergamos, but just for us, again, to get a, a, a good understanding of what was going on. This was, again, the political capital of the Roman providence of Asia. This is where when John wrote, uh, wrote Pergamos, he had, he had been in the capital city of that region uh, there for a very long time. The city was noted for, again, its cultural education, having one of the greatest libraries on record in the ancient world. They had more than 200,000 books. <laughs> the interesting thing here is they didn't have the one book that could save their souls. And there, then again, that's the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God, which are two different things, right? And I'm not saying higher education is not a good thing. But when we look to higher education as that defines us and defines our character and that defines us of who we are, our being, we're, we're, we're truly not seeing the real picture because there's only one who can save one's soul. There's only one that can regenerate someone from a dead, walking dead person into a living new creation, and that's Jesus Christ. And it is the foolishness of preaching and teaching. It said the Bible says, faith comes by hearing the word of God. That one begins to develop this hunger and this desire to want to know more of who Jesus Christ is. And it's only in the Holy Scriptures that that can be found. They had all these books. They, they, had, they were so great in their, in their scholarly learning, but they didn't have the one book that could save their souls. This was an extremely religious city. As I mentioned before, many temples... To Greek and Roman gods, I won't go through their names. They're just they're they're all there: Zeus, Dionysus, Athena, too many of them. There were temples dedicated to the worship of the Roman emperor. There were three different temples in this city dedicated to the worship of Roman emperors or the Roman emperor, excuse me, at that time. That's like us erecting a stadium for the worship of some person or some people. It's crazy, but that's what went on. It may go on. It does go on in our own culture in different other subtle ways, but it still happens. Um, the city was especially known for the worship of, of this, this, this deity that was a health god or, or a medical god. And, and uh, in this temple, 
there would be snakes. Can you pronounce the name? Because I cannot pronounce the name for the life of me. Escalapius. See, I was going to botch that for sure. Escal- what he said, Escalapius. This was the god of healing. And in this temple, there would be all kinds of snakes. <laughs> People were supposed to lay down and let these snakes slither and crawl over them. And supposedly they would be healed. And, uh, you know, again, that's just, you think of that stuff. And, and we see some of this in some Eastern cultures where stuff like that goes on. The worship of cows and the worship of different animals. Uh, it, it's, 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 again, re- all you have to do is read Romans 1. We create things in our own image, our own idea of how we want God to be. And this is what was going on here in this place. Now you get a vivid picture of the idolatry that went on here. It was very bad. So it's no wonder why we see many today making similar false claims to other false gods. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. And that is so true. But next we see Jesus Christ and how he describes himself to the church. He says, he who has the sharp two-edged sword. In Revelation 1.16 John observed, observation of Jesus uh, was out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword. Now Jesus shows this two-edged sword to the Christians of Pergamos. The description of the sword helps us to associate it with the mouth of Jesus. The reality is this. Jesus will confront his church with his word. We will feel the sharp two edges. This reminds us of the passage found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jesus would use this sharp two-edged sword to make separation among some Christians in Pergamos. The application for us is this. For us today, this same two-edged sharp sword as well will cut to the heart of our circumstances and reveal the truth. Again, that's why every time we read the Word of God, every time we study the Word of God, if we are truly honest with ourselves, we walk away with some sense of conviction because the Word of God is always exposing sin and pointing to a way of correction. Aren't you grateful that it's not just pointing sin? It's not just, here, you're doing this. Or you fail in this area, or you're not doing that. Actually, that is pretty much Satan. You fail, you fail, because it's, it's condemnation. But conviction will come, and it'll show you. Well, you know, you probably shouldn't have talked to your wife like that. Or maybe you shouldn't have been grumbling and complaining. Maybe you should have been a little more patient. But the Lord will show us and correct us. He'll show us this is the way to correct it. Right? We know whenever there's a disagreement, what is the only thing that's going to correct the disagreement? Humility, right? Somebody has to humble themselves and somebody has to say, honey, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I apologize for what I did. I apologize for my bad attitude. And maybe you might might not be forgiven right then in that moment. But you, whoever it is, taking the step of saying, I'm going to humble myself. Now, peace can be restored in the relationship. It's just like us with God. You can go ahead and try it. I wouldn't suggest it. But if you are not doing right by God and you just go along and say, I'm not going to submit, I'm not going to repent, uh, it's going to be tough for you. <laughs> you might be able to hold on for a little bit and grit and bear it. And what do they say? You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try to get by. But eventually you're going to get worn out because God's just like, dude, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for you to humble yourself and repent. And then our relationship can be restored. And it's right. You know, um, I don't know if you've ever been to a Jewish wedding. You know, Jewish weddings, the father going to get whatever, he's going to get the, the glass cup, and he smashed the cup. And the symbolism of that is, it's a warning. Now there's been a union between two people. And they take this from the Old Testament. Now that they're united, if anything ever goes wrong, that relationship can never be reconciled. That's the symbolism. Don't let that happen, right? That's what they're showing. Praise God that we don't live in the Old Testament They don't see that we can be reconciled daily with God because of Jesus Christ. So praise God that we have that opportunity if we find ourselves in a position where, man, Lord, I messed up. I blew it. But, you know, God is so gracious. He 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 remembers. He says, uh, you know, Keefing, Daniel, Lou, I know you're but dust. 
I know you're but dust. You know, we beat ourselves up, but God understands. And he says, I'm gracious and I'm kind to you who now I call child. I now I call friend because you've proclaimed my son as your savior. And so now we are no longer enemies, but we're friends of God. That's a beautiful thing. Don't ever take that for granted that you can call God your friend, that you can call God your father, your Abba, because he loves you dearly. Any parent here knows that, you know, you're, you, 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 you give your life for your children. You want your children to do better than you did. You want your children to accomplish more than you did because that's the desire and longing of any parent. And to know that that's how our heavenly father looks at us. That he says, man, I, just, I want so much for you. I, I desire so much for you. But we have to come into that relationship in the right way and remain in that relationship in the right way. Amen. You see, we can stay in a constant relationship with Jesus Christ by renewing our minds in him, by aligning our will with his will. You see, get, that's how it works. When we say, I'm going to, I want to think how you think, Lord. I want to see this circumstance as you see it. I want to see these people as you see them, Lord. Change my heart, creating me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit. That's what David was saying. He said, my thinking's wrong, Lord. The way I'm viewing things is wrong. My perspective on life is wrong. So renew in me a clean heart, a right heart. Renew in me a right spirit. That's what David says. I love that prayer. I love that verse. It's so, it's so important for us today. You see, the problem is so many times we don't want to be convicted or corrected. So we turn away. We turn a blind eye to the truth. You see, this double-edged sword in which is the word of God cannot be handled without getting cut. So however you look at it, whenever you get into the word of God, you're going to experience a level of conviction. But conviction is a beautiful thing. Conviction reveals that you are his. You are his. Because if you're not his... You're not going to get corrected. You see, people, many people say, oh, I'm a child of God. We're children of God. No, we're all creations of God, but we're not all children of God. Don't get it twisted. You're not a child of God just because you're alive. You're a child of God once you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, one of the things that comes along with that is conviction because it's correction, because it's reproof. Again, we just talked about it. The Word of God has the power to transform lives, and it's only done by correction correcting the more we are comfortable with being corrected by the lord the better off we're going to be the more we'll be esteemed the more we'll be used the more peace we'll experience the more joy we'll experience the happier we'll be in all circumstances that is the way it is the more we kick against the goads and fight and backbite and say i don't want to be corrected i don't want to do that i want to do it my way the the more we maybe we're not doing it with god but we're doing it with other people oh no no she's wrong I will not bow to her. I will not, I will not humble my, You know that there's many times where you got to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness even when you're not wrong? <laughs> like when I first understood that, that blew my mind so much. I had such a hard time with that. And a lot of times it happens in marriage, you know, where you're like, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not apologizing. They, you hurt me. You cut me with your words. And nothing went on with me and Veronica this week. I'm just saying, these are real things that happen. And, and, but we have to. It doesn't matter if it's the woman or the man, whoever. Somebody has to do it. Somebody has to say, I am going to humble myself. Because that's an act of Christ humbling himself, himself before the Father. He did absolutely nothing wrong. And yet his blood had to be shed and spilled. He did nothing wrong. He didn't have to die. He didn't deserve to die. But it was all part of the plan. And, and, and that's, that's something for us to emulate in a sense that we are supposed to lay our lives down for one another. And without the Holy Spirit, you cannot do it. With the Holy Spirit, it may be painful at times. It may be very difficult, but you're going to be able to do it. And you're going to reap the benefits. You're going to be blessed. Your relationships will be blessed beyond belief because you have taken that stance of humility. Amen. When you truly count the cost, moments or seasons of being uncomfortable far outweigh an eternity of being uncomfortable in hell. That's the bottom line. We're going to go through difficulty in this life. I'd rather go through difficulty in this life than have peace and prosperity with the Lord in heaven and not have to deal with gnashing of teeth and regret that I denied the Lord and didn't do as he said because eternity is forever. Even if 
you're like one of those elderly ladies and you can live to 100. You're like, man, I wouldn't mind living to 100. I, I got energy. I can do it. 100 years pales in comparison to infinite amount of time. You can't stop the zeros. It hurts my brain trying to think about eternity because it does not end. It does not end. Who wants to be in eternal torment forever? Nobody wants that. Even people who don't believe in God don't want that. But we have the opportunity now to not only have that for ourselves, but to share it with those around us. What a great privilege we have as followers of Christ. All right, last verse, 13. I know where you dwell. This is Jesus speaking to the church, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So he says, I know your works. Jesus said this to each church. It is true of each one of us today. He knows your works. He knows my works, even if it's not much. You know, the saddest thing is going to be, unfortunately, for some people when Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Workers of iniquity. But we cast out demons in your name. We fed the homeless. We preached and taught. We had a church and people came and gave money. And, you know, we did all this. We did this. And, you know, dare I say, we packed shoeboxes. We did, and Jesus is like, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, because it's not about the stuff. It's not about what we think we do. We talked about this last week. Why Abel was able to be received. His offering was received and why Cain's was rejected. Because we got to come in a manner that's right by the Lord, not the way we think we should come. And he's like, I don't need this stuff. I don't need your acts of generosity. I don't need your acts of kindness. I want you. He's like, I want you to myself, one-on-one, all the time. Let me speak into your life. Let me have communion with you. And then when those things naturally are an outpouring or a supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you don't have to be concerned about those things so much because you know it's like, man, I, I, I walk guiltless in this world. I walk knowing that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and it's okay. I'm not perfect. I'm not sinless, but I'm walking in the way that the Lord has me to walk. You see, because many people get religious, and they start thinking it's what they do. It's what they do. It's what I do that makes me right with God. And look at what I've done, and and this and that. And that's how the Pharisees and the Sadducees were. The religious leaders, they they, they clung so much to what they did and who they were, they forgot. You know, you got a lot of people now, um, they're called black Hebrews. (laughs) And, 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 you know, there may be some validity to what they're saying. If you want to do the 23andMe and trace back ancestry, you know, I believe there are some Jews that are black, whatever. But, but to cling to that, you know, in some places they would not like me saying this, especially with my skin tone. <laughs> Why are you talking like that? Because it's the truth. Your, your heritage has nothing to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, yes, there are... Uh, the remnant of Jews that are set apart for God. And yes, those are his chosen people. But the Bible also talks about, it's not about your nationality. It's not about your culture. It's about the inward condition of your heart. That is so important. Once we really grapple with that and understand that, you'll understand, you'll see how, how more smoothly your relationship with the Lord goes. Then you don't feel bad if you don't read a chapter a day. Then you don't feel bad if you're, well, I wasn't on my knees today. Does that mean you weren't praying? There's some people that gauge their relationship with Jesus like that. I mean, back in the day, these people were castrating themselves, thinking that that was the right thing to do. That's crazy. God don't want us doing that. He doesn't want you beating yourself up. That's shame. That's guilt. We're free from that by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's just about a relationship. It's about a relationship. And such a beautiful relationship it is that you have freedom within that relationship once you understand the depth of his love or even just begin to understand the depth of his love. You see that you're not condemned. You're loved by him in a great way. He goes on to say, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Again, this was a stronghold of satanic power in Pergamos. I'm not going to get into all the different opinions of why people thought, why biblical scholars thought there was a stronghold there, but, but there was just a lot of demonic activity, false gods being worshipped, Babylonian priesthoods, uh, you know, their political center of worship, just a lot of bad stuff. But he says that you held fast to my name. You see, despite the fact that they lived in such a difficult city, the Christians of Pergamos held fast to their faith in Jesus Christ. The application is this. Tell him to call back. 
Uh, you know, I don't never get I don't never get upset with any of that stuff. You know, some people be like, uh, we're we're in church. Man, stop it. I'll go on because I'm gonna say it. You know, we we are the church. You're not in church. <laughs> so when people say stuff like that, it's just silly to me. And it's like again, you think Satan? You know, this is the thing. This is a side note, but it's so real nowadays. I think it was held back then too, but nowadays specifically, Satan's influence is really more from within the church than from outside the church. You know what I'm saying? We need to keep each other accountable up in here and make sure that we're not falling away to false teachings and, 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 and not good stuff because it ain't all those outside influences. It's people that are sitting up in these pulpits, preaching whatever they're preaching, people doing whatever they're doing, and everybody thinking they're all good. So, uh, it's not a big deal. Tell them to call back. <laughs> Oh, all right. Hold on. I'm almost done, y'all. I know. All right. Um, these Christians, they, 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 they faced persecution daily. It wasn't easy for them. They, they, they did have a hard life. They had a hard walk. You know, um, they did not hold to the line of thinking that was with the majority. Remember, all, it was so much not good worship, bad stuff going on around them. And, and, and what they said was, no, I don't side with that. I side with Jesus Christ. And yet they held fast to his name. You see, our circumstances will never be picture perfect here on earth. So the thing is, since things aren't going to be perfect here, and we can't have our cake and eat it too, so to speak, all the time, we need to change our perspective, change our way of thinking. We need to see God, the world, and people as God does, uh, led by the Holy Spirit, right? When we align our will with His will, then and only then will we truly begin to hold fast to His name. We have to let go of our ideas of what we want. He'll bless, but we may not get everything we want. Remember, the Hall of Faith, many people did not see things manifest in this lifetime. So don't be disappointed if you don't see everything come to fruition right here on earth, because it may not be. Besides, heavenly treasures are so much better than things that are going to rust and, you know, turn sour at some point. We, we were watching a college football game last night, and there was a Mercedes-Benz commercial they had this Mercedes-Benz like it was like had wings. It was just floating and flying in the air. It was a beautiful piece of machinery. It was a beautiful car. But it's like, as beautiful as that car is, it's going to rust. It's going to break down. You're going to have to change parts on it, and it, it's not going to last forever. So we need not be so concerned with what we see. We need to be concerned with what we can't see. Next, Jesus told them that they did not deny his faith. You see, Jesus praised the Christians of Pergamos because they did not deny his faith. It's always important to make sure that the faith we hold on to is the faith that belongs to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12 verse 3 tells us, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's a beautiful thing we always have to be reminded. And here's the last point. I'm just going to speak real quickly about Antipas and who he was. He says, he was his faithful martyr who was killed among you. This was one specific Christian in Pergamos who received this precious title of faithful martyr. You see, the same title was held by Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. I'm not trying to compare Antipas to Jesus. It's not sacrilegious. It's just... Jesus is honoring uh, Antipas by giving him this title. Antipas was a man who followed Jesus, who was like Jesus in the way that he wanted to live like him. He wanted to live like his master. Antipas is one of the great, almost anonymous heroes of the Bible. His history tells us nothing about him except for here. And this is beautiful. This is, this is what the Lord revealed to me in, in, in this, this character who was spoken of here. The application is this. Those who are glossed over in this life are precious in the sight of Jesus Christ. You see, today you may feel overlooked and underappreciated. If you come to Jesus Christ with a humble heart, you will receive all of the love, support, and acknowledgement excuse me, from Him that you will ever need. It will fulfill you far greater than any attention you could get and receive from people. But you see, that's the lie that we're fed that if we're not acknowledged by man, that we're worthless. How many of us have struggled with that at some point in our lives? 
This person doesn't acknowledge me. This company doesn't acknowledge me. This team won't acknowledge me. This school won't acknowledge me. This church won't acknowledge me. So I'm worthless. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. We must remember we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Side note, and I'll end with this. Antipas lived where Satan's throne was, yet he stood against the attacks of the enemy around him. He fulfilled the meaning of his name because Antipas means against all. Martyr is the ancient Greek word martus, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Martus is an interesting and suggestive word because in classical Greek, martus never meant a martyr in our sense of the term. It always meant a witness. It was not until the New Testament times that martus ever became to mean martyr. So today, let your witness be true and faithful to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, despite whomever the enemy may throw at you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we we thank you for, Lord, your love for us and the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ. I could never get old, could never get stale, the fact of what you allowed your son to do so that we could be right before you. May we just grow in deeper love with you every day that goes by, Lord. May we experience the joy and the peace that's unspeakable by having a right relationship with you. Lord, that relationship is available to everyone. You say anyone can come to you. That means it's everybody in this room. If we're not walking with you, the invitation is there. May we, we, may we make the decision in our hearts before it's too late that we're going to live for you and that we're going to go all out for you. As hard as we lived in the world, may we go even harder for you in this Christian life and decide that we are never going to look back. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your faithfulness and your goodness, Lord, and your riches that you give in mercy and grace. You are to be praised forever. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.